We all know Jesus' disciples believed he rose from the dead, but did anyone who was hostile to Jesus admit to the resurrection? There actually is a very prominent historical person who claimed to be an enemy of Christianity, but then later admitted that the resurrection actually occurred. That's what we'll be discussing today on Christ, Culture, and Coffee. This is Christ, Culture, and Coffee, an apologetics podcast to help equip Christians to engage the culture through biblical, critical thinking. Your hosts for this podcast are Robbie Lashua and Tyler Hurley. Robbie is pastor of apologetics at Desert Springs Community Church, as well as professor of apologetics, worldview, and ethics at Mission Bible Institute. He is a graduate of Phoenix Seminary, as well as a graduate of the Master's in Christian Apologetics program at Biola University. Tyler is currently earning his undergraduate degree in theology at Grand Canyon University and currently serves as an apologetics intern at Desert Springs Community Church. Hello, welcome to Christ Culture and Coffee. I hope you had a great Easter celebrating the risen Jesus. Uh, I'm here with Tyler today, and we're going to continue talking about Jesus' resurrection and the evidence we have for that actually being a historical event that really occurred. Yes, yes. So uh, just going to keep kind of carrying off and piggybacking off of the series that we were doing on the resurrection. Yeah, there's so much evidence. Like, we yeah. couldn't just do three weeks on it. We have to do, like, yeah, probably like lot. six weeks or something. So mm. so, so there's yeah. there's so much more, even than what we're going to be covering. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, we're weeks. just barely just, scratching the surface. Re- really, we could probably make a whole podcast just on the evidence of the resurrection. Well, actually, alone. yeah. So I was going to say. Michael Icona, who is an expert on the resurrection and wrote the historiographical approach to the resurrection, uh, he has a podcast called Risen Jesus. Jesus. Does he really? And yeah, it's, so that's it's, all it's about. It's awesome. Yeah, like, I can't highly recommend really it cool. enough. Yeah, so if you're out there, check out Michael Icona's podcast, uh, Risen Jesus. He comes out with seasons uh, mm, of it. Right. It's really, really good. So, But nice. today, uh, this is Christ Culture and Coffee. Uh, we should actually mm-hmm. get Michael Icona to come on the show. He'd come on. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, yeah fellow podcaster. I would love that. Yeah, he would totally do it. He's I love that guy. Um, anyway, but on Christ Culture and Coffee, one of the things that we like to do is give a coffee tip every week. And yeah. uh, Tyler, you've got a tip for us this week. Yeah, so th- this one's a short tip, but it's kind of interesting here. So apparently... Coffee is actually the second largest traded commodity in the world. Really? Yeah. So I don't know if you listeners out there could guess what the largest is because obviously coffee is the second. Hmm. So the first is apparently oil. Oh, so that makes oil sense. is okay. the largest traded commodity in the world. Yeah. But coffee is the second largest. Makes sense to me. It's one of the most important things in life. I mean, yeah. I mean, <laughs> who needs oil? We don't need oil. We need no. coffee. Dude, I'm going to try to actually put coffee in my gas tank. Well, you know. And we'll see what happens. <laughs> see if it goes. Isn't coffee, though, like oil for humans? Like, Yeah, I guess I'm so. It keeps like, us lubricated because there's water with it as well. It's and bean it keeps oil. Us, yeah, it's bean oil. It keeps us going. What else? It energizes us, right? It keeps our motor running, yeah. you could say. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It uh, does. I Heck, guess it is. Yeah, it's kind of like human gasoline. We should start a new coffee business, and that could be our tagline, is, is coffee, oil for humans. <laughs> <laughs> It's not a bad idea. Keep your engine running. <laughs> Keep your engine running. Yeah, that's great, man. <laughs> we got some good ideas. We're going to see that. Somebody's going to listen to this. They're going to do it. We're going to see that out there. It's going to become the biggest uh, coffee uh, okay. yeah, company maybe, in the Maybe world we should and... hire an attorney right now to copyright. We should. This, yeah, copyright. That's yeah. our idea. Coffee We have is this oil on, on recording, a verbal 
<laughs> the affirmation that this is our idea. Yeah, exactly. Time stamped and everything. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> well, we're glad you're here with us today. Um, yeah, you can wow your friends with that tidbit that coffee is the second largest traded commodity mm-hmm. in the world because everybody worldwide loves it because it's great. Um, but uh, we do want to talk today about uh, an enemy of Christ admitting that the resurrection actually happened. And uh, many of you know that um, this past Easter Sunday, there were multiple bombings in Sri Lanka uh, as Christians were gathering to worship Jesus. Um, uh, It looks like right now they're claiming that the Islamic terrorists had bombed multiple locations of, of worshipers. And the death toll right now is actually up to 321 people killed uh, while they were worshiping Jesus on Easter. Um, just tragic, sad, um, hard to comprehend why uh, people would do that. Um, again, we, a few podcasts ago, we talked about the, 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 the crazy guy who went into a couple of mosques, right? Mm-hmm. And, he, and he was shooting them up. And just that's, that's also horrendous, just unreal. Um, the, the, the silver lining to this one is that the people worshiping Jesus were saved uh, and that we, we have hope that they're with Jesus right now, all based on his resurrection. And so we can find, uh, in the morning, we can find comfort and hope in that. Um, but I wanted to bring that up, not not to just make you feel sad about the events of the world and things going on, um, but to talk about how um, a terrorist in the first century, mm-hmm. a person who went around to churches abducting people, kidnapping them, uh, bringing them before the Jewish council and trial and, and killing them and being at some of their, their deaths, uh, actually admits that the resurrection occurred. So, so a first century terrorist uh, changed his mind and became a Christian. And of course, we're talking about the Apostle Paul. Yes. Right? Yeah. And just there's a, lots of reasons on why uh, what Paul's conversion is so important Mm -hmm. on the testimony of the resurrection because uh, just so, I mean, there's just so much evidence compiled on his eyewitness testimony that makes the resurrection reliable based on everything that we have. And the reason for that is, yes, he was a terrorist against Christians. Paul, uh, if you read through scriptures, he talks about it himself. He's uh, like mentioning that he would seek out uh, other believers, and he would stone them to death and mm-hmm. uh, bring up these riots and gatherings where they would hunt down and kill Christians beca- yeah. just because of their faith. And so he was an enemy of the cross. He was against Christ. Yeah, he, against everything about yes. it. Yep. Yes. And, and so, he changed his tune. And that's that's the that's the topic for today is yes. what would possess a guy who is so against Christianity mm. to join Christianity. Yeah. And that's yeah. what we wanna we wanna start looking at here. So Tyler, tell us why is Paul important when we come to the resurrection of Christ? Yeah, uh so Paul is super important because for one, uh he is the earliest known author that we have to mention the resurrection. And okay. there are many texts that he gave us writing clues about the nature of the resurrection. And then they're also uh, um, the only verifiable report, reports by a verifiable eyewitness of the risen Jesus himself. 
Yeah, Paul's letters are. Yeah, that's true. Um, and that's an imp- that's an interesting one because when we say that, you know, people mm-hmm. out there will think, well, what about the Gospels? Like those are verifiable, and uh, we would yes. agree with that. Yes, right? that is true. But when we say that, what, what we're what we're alluding to is that the atheist scholars will admit that Paul's letters are verifiable reports by a verifiable eyewitness. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean... That's fascinating. Yeah, exactly. And then I have uh, a quote here from Bart Ehrman, who we've mentioned uh, throughout the past couple podcasts as Mm -hmm. well. Um, In one of his books, he says here, the seven letters that virtually all scholars agree Paul wrote, the so-called undisputed Pauline epistles, are Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Philippians, 1st Thessalonians, and Philemon. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, that doesn't mean Paul didn't write the other Gospels. I mean, sorry, the other I meant letters, epistles, yeah. that's what I meant. Uh, but that mean, what that does mean is that across the board, all scholars, both uh, believers and non-believers, would say that without a shadow of a doubt or even like any form of debate, like, yes, Paul wrote these letters. Mm-hmm. Yep. And yeah, and that's verifiable. And the reason we know this is because uh, there's, there's just further evidence of people outside of Paul's own writings that mention Paul. So he's he's kind of a re, like a verified historical figure. Yeah, and the things he mentions in his letters are historical historically verifiable even to the point yeah. of archaeological evidence. Yeah. Um, about like when at the time he was in Corinth and all, all this kind of stuff. And so yeah, atheist scholars admit those are seven letters he legitimately wrote. Yeah. Yeah, and so obviously we like like you said, Robbie, we we believe that the gospels are verifiable evidences. Yes, we do. Yes. Yeah, of course. However, uh, critical scholars of this do not, but they do believe that these letters of Paul were genuine. That mm-hmm. these are authentic. That this was written by Paul. Mm-hmm. So, if you go off of their criteria and kind of put play the, play with the ball and put the ball in their court, you say you can see here that. With Paul's letters alone, this is the most verifiable across the board. Yeah, it's just the best evidence. It's it's the best. I think it's one of the best tactics to use. Is saying, yeah. okay, this is what you'll grant us is true. From what you'll grant us, atheist scholars, we can show you that the resurrection had to have happened. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's what we're trying to do here. Yeah, and so uh, the fact that Paul was an enemy of Jesus and Christianity at the time of his experience of the risen Jesus is important. Yeah, because that's what we're focusing on. Well, and that, yeah, and that's the huge question, Tyler. Is what could possess somebody like Paul to yeah. change teams? Yeah, that's that's what we're that's, getting after. That's really it, this argument. I think. Uh, is very similar to a couple weeks ago when we talked about uh, the evidence of um, changing the Sabbath to yeah, Sunday. To Sunday. What because, could possess you Yeah, to what do could that? possess someone to do that? Yeah, it's very similar to that argument. So if you listen to that podcast, that's kind of the direction we're going with this. It's mm-hmm. uh, what could convince someone to change their lifestyle, basically. Someone like Paul. Like Paul, yeah, yes. The terrorist The terrorist, Paul. yeah. Saul the terrorist, yeah. Well, and that's what we want to look into. So um, using what the atheists will grant us with Galatians being one of the undisputed Pauline letters, I want to read to you Paul's account— According to atheists, this is his account, his own words of what happened to him. And this comes from Galatians 1, 11 through 19. Here's what he says. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. 
For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for the ancestral traditions. But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and had called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Then, three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas, and I stayed with him fifteen days. But I did not see any other of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Hmm. So this is Paul's account. He tells the Galatians, listen, you know how I used to be. I was very zealous for Judaism, for my ancestral traditions. I was advancing in it, right? Saying I was kind of a big shot in it, right? We know that he studied under Gamaliel, who was like the smartest guy in town. Um, And he says, nobody taught me the gospel. It's not like I was converted to it because I heard a pastor teach it or somebody explained the scriptures to me. What happened? He says, God revealed his son to me. That's huge. This is what happened to me. God revealed his son to me. Um, We get more of this story from the book of Acts. And this is really fascinating to me, Tyler, is Mm. that three times in the book of Acts, you get to hear about Paul's conversion story on the road to Damascus. Mm. He's going to persecute the church. Jesus shows up to him and says, what are you doing? Why are you persecuting me, right? Just imagine to like the apostles after after knowing his reputation that Paul comes to them Mm -hmm. and is like, hey, I'm... I'm, I'm well, we know exactly what happened when he came to them. They we were do. all hiding out. They didn't want it. They didn't want uh, to associate with him because they thought they, he would kill them. Well, yeah, yeah. Just imagine their feelings is what I'm saying. Huh. Like, like the fear that oh, yeah. would happen. Like it'd be terrifying. Could you yeah. imagine hearing, "Hey, this guy wants to meet with you. Osama bin Laden's in town. He wants to hang out." No, yeah. <laughs> sorry, that's not happening, right? Yeah. But then Barnabas goes and takes a chance on him. Risks yeah. a, a really dangerous relationship with a known bad guy. Um, which was awesome for us because yeah. good, good on Barnabas, I mean, right? they probably like, had to have thoughts of like, what if this guy's just lying and yeah. he's trying to infiltrate us oh, yeah. and trying to just get close to us so he can kill us? Of course it's they like, had thoughts like that. Yeah. And that's why they were hiding out. Yeah. But um, in Acts, we have three accounts of Paul's conversion. And this, uh, why, the question we got to ask is, why did Luke want to share that story three times? In in Luke nine, we get it kind of in the historical account of the book. But then in Acts, uh, sorry, in Acts nine. But then in Acts twenty two and Acts twenty six, um, Luke records Paul giving his testimony and telling about his conversion experience when he's on trial a couple of different times. Um, and so the details between these three accounts and what Paul says in Galatians, uh, it all lines up. Paul was very zealous, advancing beyond his peers, right? Um, in Philippians, Paul tells that tells us that he was a Pharisee. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He's from the tribe of Benjamin. He's zealous and righteous according to the law, right? Uh, in Acts, it talks about, in Acts 22, how he was brought up in Jerusalem, educated under Gamaliel, strictly according to the fathers, zealous for God. Um, Acts 26, it talks about how he lived among Jerusalem Jews from the time he was a youth and was a Pharisee according to the strictest sect. 
So he's not just a Pharisee. He's according to like the really serious sect <laughs> of Pharisees, right? Um, and then in Galatians 1, which we just read, he tells us that he was a persecutor of the church and he tried to des- destroy it. Mm. He also says the same thing in 1 Corinthians 15, which is what? Oh, an undisputed Pauline epistle. Interesting, <laughs> yeah. right? Oh, and he also says it in where? In Philippians 3, 6, which is also an undisputed Pauline epistle. So we're getting this idea that Paul was a terrorist. Where do we get that idea from? From Paul. (laughs) He's telling us what he used to do and who he used to be, even according to critical scholars, even according to the atheists. We'll say, yes, this is true. They're admitting Paul is saying that about himself. Fascinating. In Acts, we see this played out, right? He goes from door to door in Jerusalem, arresting and imprisoning people, and he's passionate about murdering Christians, and that's why he's going to Damascus when Jesus shows up to him, when Jesus shows up to him. And that changed everything about Paul's life, right? Mm, So in Galatians, we have Paul's account of it. In Acts, we we get speeches on Paul's lips twice, that predate the book of Acts, right? So those are older than the book of Acts. And yeah. we've, we've talked about that on previous podcasts, how that works. But we also get the historical account of it in uh, Luke nine or Acts 9, which Luke wrote. And this is what's important is most commentators agree that Luke was a companion of Paul. Yeah. So this isn't like even the stuff in Acts. It's 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 from a, a guy who who firsthand knew Paul and had heard his story, writing it down. So it's not you know years later and legend developed or anything. But even if it had, we have it in Galatians chapter one who Paul was and then what happened to him. And uh, so Tyler, you're gonna talk a little bit about uh, what did happen to Paul on the road. What type of appearance uh, yes. was this that that occurred to Paul? Yeah. So uh, the Paul kind of gives us an interesting detail on the type of appearance he'd seen in uh, 1 Corinthians 15.8. Which is an undisputed Pauline epistle. Good. Right? Yeah, that's true. It is. It's undisputed. Uh, and the, the verse, again, 1 Corinthians 15.8 says, And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Mm-hmm. Now, now, what does Paul mean by the phrase, last of all? Hmm. That's, that's interesting. And it would seem as though Paul is basically stating that Jesus appeared to him last in that manner of bodily appearing. Mm-hmm. This would have been after his ascension. Yeah, that's huge, Tyler, because yeah. um, that in that 1 Corinthians 15 creed, which again, we established dates to somewhere between six months to three years after Jesus' death, uh, Paul says, to one untimely born, he appears to me last, right? And and that that um, creed it starts mm. with Peter right then the then the twelve yes then and it's in a, it's in a chronological order of how Jesus appeared to people after his resurrection, and and Paul saying and lastly he appeared to me because um, this was would have been two or three years after Jesus' death, mm. but Paul's claiming. That Jesus appeared to him in a dream? Yeah. No. I mean, no. (laughs) He didn't appear to him in a dream, right? Yeah, yeah. He's saying that he appeared to him, last of all, his, like, in physical form. In physical form, bodily, just like 
to Peter, mm-hmm. just like to the 12, just like to his brother James. Yeah, he didn't appear in a dream. He didn't appear in a vision. The, the Bible's really careful when those things occur to say it. Actually, uh, in, in Acts 9, when we have the account of Jesus appearing to Paul, it talks about how he appeared and it was a real thing that happened, right? And the ground shook and he heard a voice and all this stuff. And then a, like the very next portion of Scripture in Acts 9... It says, uh, this is Acts 9, verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, oh, so that's not the same thing that happened to Paul, because this is in a vision, right? Yeah. Luke is very distinct with what happened to Paul versus what happened to Ananias. Jesus visited Ananias in a vision. That's not what happened with Paul. Mm. Paul saying the bodily resurrected Jesus showed it was up physical. Me. Yeah, they yeah. Just wasn't. He, he calls it an appearance. He calls it a revelation. He revealed in Galatians. He was revealed to me. Right? It's yeah. I type thing. He saw this. Occur. Yeah, that's what he's saying. And last of all, that's what's significant about that phrase too. It yes. just it's crazy thinking. Yeah, like this was a physical appearance to Paul. Meaning. Nobody else has seen Jesus in that way probably since Paul. In dreams and visions and stuff, sure, I'm with that. I hear Mm -hmm. all these Muslims who are converting because Jesus is walking in their dreams. I I, I believe that. But I don't think that anybody has seen Jesus like this since Paul. He was was the last. Yeah, and that's that's really, really important. Important. That's like, what he's claiming anyway, to, to right? The, yeah, to see he's the claim claiming here. to have the same type of appearance as Peter and the twelve and Jesus' yeah, brother. Yeah, and so, uh, so basically, on top of that, uh, Paul reports that he suffered for the gospel mm-hmm. after this. So again, not only did he convert from being a terrorist and then going into this uh, this realm of becoming all on board for Christ and living his life for Jesus, but he suffers. For Christ. Yeah, it wasn't like he tried it for a little while and then it got hard and he's like, never mind, I'm going to go back to Jerusalem where I was a big shot. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He stuck it out, right? So how do we know that he suffered? Yes, yes. So right here, I was going to read 2 Corinthians. Which is what? Which is an undisputed book of of Paul. Undisputed Pauline epistle. So for sure he wrote this. So this is a firsthand account of what Paul says about himself. Yes, So this is, everyone agrees, Paul wrote this. Yep. Uh, 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 28 says, Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so in far more labors, uh, in far more imprisonments, beaten, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes, Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I have spent in the deep, I have been on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers in the sea, dangers among false brethren, I have been in labor and hardship." Through many sleepless nights, in hunger and in thirst, often without food and cold and exposure, apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern of for all the churches. Yikes! So this is crazy. <laughs> that's a lot of issues. He said, and then to top that off, too, it's crazy to say that at the last sentence of that passage, he says, apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. So he's saying, I don't care what's happening to me. Mm-hmm. 
It doesn't matter. I'm just concerned about what's going on in the church. Yeah, the real pressure comes when I think about you dirty Corinthians and all the bad stuff you're yeah. doing. That's what he's saying, and then, right? And then think about, too, just for one, like, if you take a step back here, think about, like, what a gut punch that is. Mm-hmm. He's listing some of the most horrendous stuff that a person could ever suffer through. Yeah. Like, And then he tells them, but yeah, you know what? You guys are worse than the sufferings than I'm going through because yeah. I'm more concerned about what's happening here. That's the real turmoil. That's the real in my turmoil. Mind. Yeah. That's that's such a gut punch like reading that and seeing that and you're like, "Oh wow, like, it dude, is. like he's serious here." Like and this is important because uh and something something that even emphasizes his uh suffering even further is we have verifiable evidence from outside sources such as Polycarp to Tertullian, uh Dionysus is he Denisius of Corinth and Origen all make mention of Paul being martyred, and mm-hmm. Tertullian specifically mentions that he was beheaded. Yeah. So, so Paul he suffered for Christ. That's no no doubt about it. He suffered, and he yeah. got his head chopped off for it. Yeah. Um, and then again, this is this is verified by skeptics and. Uh, non-skeptics alike. Yeah, they would say he said this about himself. These yeah. are the things that he went through, and he probably did. It's believable that he went through this stuff because he's writing to real people yeah. who would have known if he did or didn't. Um, mm-hmm. And we see we see some of this, not everything, but we see some of this in the book of Acts. You remember when he was stoned? Uh, the, the people thought he was dead, remember? Yeah. They thought they'd, they'd thrown enough rocks at him and beaten him enough that he was dead, so they left him outside the city to die. Uh, and then he revived, and some of it, some of the followers of Christ came and took him and helped him get better. I mean, so it wasn't like little turmoil no, and he, torture. I mean, he, were, he was near death. There were countless amounts of times where he was like an inch from death. Yep. Yeah, like even like even in a shipwreck, uh, like you got to think like that. That's not easy. Could you imagine being? And what does he say? How long does he say he was in the open sea? Oh, uh, let's see. He says, I think it's where he says he a night and a day. In the deep. I've spent. Yeah. In the open sea. No, thanks. Just in the open sea. Yeah. I mean, and and for what? Because he went around the world teaching Jesus rose from the dead. So this yeah. is this is what's important about all of this. Uh, Jesus followers reported that he rose from the dead, right? Which which we're going to talk about next week. That's that's a that's an interesting argument. But somebody who was a zealous terrorist enemy against the cause. Yeah. who did not think Jesus was God, who did not believe he rose from the dead. A guy like that was, for some reason, all of a sudden willing to suffer a lot and have his head chopped off because of the claim that Jesus did rise from the dead. Yeah. What makes sense of all that data? That's the hard part. Like, listen, uh, I really like the Phoenix Suns, and they're a train wreck right now. I mean, it's mm. so sad. This has been the worst ten years of my sports. I mean, they uh, just life. fired their coach. Oh, yeah, they did last night. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So this is just—they're horrendous. They're a train wreck. Um, but I love them, and I always will. And there's a couple of teams that I hate: uh, the Los Angeles Lakers. Oh, disgusting. I'm sorry for all you people in LA who listen, but I cannot stand them. Yeah, I can't either. We're praying for you guys. Yeah, we're praying for your souls. And um, and the San Antonio Spurs, right? Mm. And why do I hate them? Because we had rivalries with them. They they beat us all the time. Like I just the, so Tyler, there is nothing you could do to convince me to root for the Lakers or the Spurs. It's not happening. I will die being a Suns fan. That's it. It's done. It's over with. There's <laughs> nothing that could possess me to switch sides, right? And that's about sports. That's about stupid things. Here you've got a guy whose whole life is wrapped up 
in being a Jew of Jews, a Pharisee of Pharisee. I'm killing blasphemers, right? He thought what he was doing yeah. was for the Lord. Because if you blaspheme, death penalty, that's the law. Yeah, so yeah. he's going around mm-hmm. keeping God's law, killing people for claiming that Jesus is God. And then all of a sudden he switches teams and is willing to suffer a ton and leave his life of luxury, leave the prestige he had as one of the smartest guys in Jerusalem. Yeah. Just throw it all away to get beaten and stoned and thrown in jail and ultimately have your head chopped off. Why? Basically have all this stuff happen to him that he was yeah. doing to other believers. Like it was all coming back to him and it's like he took that all on for what? Yeah. So that's the question. Yeah. He says what happened to him was that Jesus showed up to him. He says, I was confronted with Jesus as reality, so he must be God. What am I supposed to do? Ignore Mm. what I know to hold on to this fantasy that I'm doing the right thing by killing Christians? Or do I submit to reality, right? Yeah. And and, and that's why he couldn't be shaken from this belief, even with the threat of death, because how how do I deny reality? How do I deny what's actually uh, true? Uh, Mm. So he, he couldn't do that. Now... Some people uh, try to make the point that Paul's conversion is a lot like Muhammad's conversion, right? I've heard this a lot. Oh, yeah, yeah so, but see, you say the same thing about Muhammad. Not really. Um, not at all. Um, Muhammad was the only witness to the angel, supposed angel, that appeared to him in the cave, right? There were no other yeah. witnesses around. Paul's not the only witness to the resurrection. You've got his disciples. You've got 500 brethren at one time. You've got his brother, James. You've got the women. You've got other apostles. So it's very different because Muhammad's the only one who yeah. any Muslims say saw this angel that showed up to him. So you're just taking one guy's word versus with Paul, this is an accumulation of a bunch of different witnesses saying that this event happened. Uh, and the other thing was this, is that Muhammad wasn't an enemy uh, of of what later became Islam before the angel showed up to him. Um, we know that Muhammad had already shunned polytheism prior to the angel showing up to him, right? Yeah, right. Wh- which means the angel didn't confront him and say, you need to change everything, yeah, but he yeah. confirmed his view that he already had. That's right. not what happened with Paul. Jesus shows up to him and said, you need to do a 180 completely. Yeah, you need to flip everything, dude. yeah. <laughs> So it's it's not the same, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of people claim to see Jesus, not just Paul. And Paul had no affinity towards Christianity when Jesus appeared to him. Paul yeah. was on his way to hurt Christians when the appearance happened. And it was such a crazy experience that it changed his mind and he stopped persecuting Christians. And then yeah. he actually joined them. Yeah. And then and then that's so, – so the question is then uh, – well, I mean the main, the important aspect of this – that we need to focus on here is it's not the fact that he just converted because because mm-hmm. tons of people converted yeah tons of people convert yeah sure. yeah but, uh, lots of pe- many people converted to Christianity when, uh, during this time uh, the gospel was being spread throughout the nations there mm-hmm. were Jews other Jews that were being converted over to Christ but what's different about Paul's conversion and the importance in his is is the cause of his conversion not the conversion in itself yeah what made him convert everybody yeah. admits he converted the atheists admit he converted to christianity yes but yes. why why and that's the significant part of this is that 
Paul converted based upon what he claimed to be a personal appearance of the risen Jesus, which mm-hmm. is primary evidence. Yeah, he didn't learn this from somebody else. Yeah, he, he didn't have the gospel shared to him. No. He saw the gospel. He saw the gospel. And that's what he says in Galatians, right? The, yeah. I, the gospel I'm preaching to you, I didn't learn from men. He's like, this, yeah. <laughs> right? That's yeah, what he's saying. Yeah, that's true. Jesus, the dude showed up to me, he, confronted God, me with truth. God appeared to him in the flesh. Yep. And... and shared the gospel with him and showed him, hey, I am reality here. Like, this is what's happening. So uh, something uh, really interesting here, too, that I wanted to share uh, is this uh, quote by Gary Habermas, on uh, which he is a really big scholar on the resurrection of yeah, Jesus. Yeah, he's probably the foremost scholar on the resurrection. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So th- this guy, he's very credible. And uh, uh, what he says here. He says, perhaps no fact is more widely recognized than the early Christian believers had, a real, had real experiences that they thought were appearances of the risen Jesus. In particular, virtually all scholars recognize Paul's testimony that he had an, appear, an experience that he believed was an appearance of the risen Jesus. Now, seldom is the historical authenticity of any of these testimonies or the genuine belief behind them challenged by respected critical scholars, no matter how skeptical. It's true because the evidence, even for Paul, is so strong that they have to say, listen, this is what he says about himself. This is what he says he was. This is what he said happened to him. And then this is who he became. Now they'll say, but of course, resurrection doesn't happen because people can't come back from the dead. Yeah. But the accounts that Paul writes, how do you make sense of them? Yeah. And why would you leave the life that you had of prestige, of power? I mean, being able to go around the world and arrest people and bring them back to Jerusalem to go under trial, right? To kill people. Well, I just, I just don't why know would how you, you could argue that yeah. against that. You can't. Yeah. You wouldn't leave that type of a life in order to get beaten, made fun of, looked down upon. I mean, and there's, there's other factors too. <clears throat> and, and I don't know. Okay, I can't say with 100% accuracy, here's the thing. But we know from 1 Corinthians, and uh, I think it's 1 Corinthians, maybe it's 2 Corinthians, that Paul was single, right? There's that whole yeah, part yeah. on singleness, he right? He does talk about that. Well, That's you know right. that Pharisees had to be married. Mm. And he yeah. was a Pharisee before. So his wife could have died. Or yeah. she could have left him when he converted. That's right. I mean, we don't know. We don't know. Yeah. There could, but there was some type of loss there. I, I've because actually he would have I've, had to have been married. I've heard that argument before, yeah. too, that that's, yeah. The other thing I think about is this, and, and, and this is something I haven't heard any, any critical scholars talk about. Paul was going around killing who? Christians. Christians. Yeah. Okay. Killing them, like Stephen, like, yeah, okay. Then he converts, and now he's going around to all these churches, and he's teaching them about the gospel, right? Yeah. You can't tell me that he didn't encounter Christians who he'd killed their family. He did. Yeah. He'd gone to churches and he'd, he'd seen people who he had harmed. Why would you do that? Mm. Why would you put yourself through that turmoil of going and looking at the, the, the family's victims that you had killed? Why would you do that? Unless... You knew Jesus was real, and he forgave you, and there was Christian forgiveness occurring. It makes no sense. It would be a constant reminder of who yeah. Paul was before 
and he was the worst of sinners, which he calls himself, right? Yeah. But why would you put yourself emotionally through that? For what? What type of gain could you possibly hope to get from that scenario? Nothing. Just, and he didn't get anything. He didn't get rich from it. He didn't get sex from it. He didn't get power from actually, it. Actually, you could definitely make a strong case argument here based off of this evidence that his life got a thousand times worse when he became oh, yeah. a Christian. Oh, yeah, big time. In a worldly sense, it got yeah. way worse. Um, he was going around his to different churches that didn't care about when him. He converted. <laughs> yeah, it was bad. Remember there's that yeah. riot when he's in Ephesus? Yeah. And they tie him up. And, I mean, dude, it it was not pretty. Why, why would you... like? And then not only that, why did... If he really genuinely uh, didn't believe this... Mm-hmm. Like, like, and he was only, like, like, all I'm saying is for you to say that he wasn't fully converted and he didn't flip a 180 because of, uh, uh, that he believed that Jesus really did rise from mm-hmm. the dead, why wouldn't he have stopped after the first couple moments of yeah. persecution well, and when life got hard and he's like, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore and because honestly, I don't even fully believe this. Mm-hmm. No, that didn't happen. He was committed up to the point of death. Yeah, and we have so much historical yeah. evidence for that, biblical and extra-biblical. But scholars will agree, no, 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 he for sure converted. Yeah. Like, let's say that. You can't deny he didn't convert. Look at all that he did. We have all these letters from mm-hmm. him because why? Because he went around to these churches preaching Jesus was alive. Like these letters were to certain places yeah, and other people, certain churches. Yeah, and other people outside of Paul's writings, affirm his conversion yeah, and but, everything that was happening But they would say too. that doesn't even matter because his right, conversion yeah. in his own words is the best evidence for it. Is, it is, yeah. So this is this is the hard part that I, I, I ask people is, okay, if, if Paul converted for sure, which everyone agrees to, and we know who he says he was prior to the resurrection, which everyone agrees to, yeah. then if it wasn't because the resurrected Jesus showed up to him, you have to explain to me what event happened in his life that would cause him to change like that. Yeah, yeah. And I, I can't think of any. I can't I think know. of any scenario just... that would make you just flip like that. Yeah, it's, it's wild. And that's why this is such an important piece of evidence. Yeah, and it's enemy attestation. Remember it is. we talked about yeah. that? That when you're looking at historical evidence, you want multiple witnesses, you want eyewitnesses, and you want people's enemies saying the same things that the person's like, friends say. I'm sure I'm sure for us growing up in the, in the church, church who were listening to this podcast too, maybe, maybe for you, you're— uh, you've always thought of Paul as this righteous guy too because of all the work he did for the Lord. But you got to keep, I mean, this is a good reminder in looking through in his past and reading through what he said in his own words. He was an enemy of Christ. Mm-hmm. He persecuted believers and he killed people mm-hmm. over their faith. And then for him to come out of that, that's lit- that's just so fascinating That's because something had to change him drastically. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And so I think that the the conversion of Paul is a really strong evidence that the resurrection happened because there's not another good explanation for it. And this is the thing. It's what he claimed happened. Yeah. And and all the evidence points to something crazy happened. Why do we eliminate that it was the resurrection of Jesus? The only reason I see people eliminated is because of supernatural bias, because they'll say, no, the supernatural doesn't occur. Therefore, people don't come back from the dead. Therefore, that's not what happened. Well, maybe people do come back from the dead. At least <laughs> once, I think it's happened. Maybe the supernatural stuff does exist, right? And so instead of being biased from the front and eliminating the possibilities of where the evidence leads, we should actually be open-minded and seek out the evidence and come up with the best plausible hypothesis. 
Yeah. And that's what I think we're doing yeah, here. I, and I, I think agree. Paul I is agree. a, again, he's not the only argument, but he's a piece of the argument going along with Jesus' brother converting, going along yeah. with the tomb being empty. Next week, we're going to talk about the disciples, right? All of these things. Right. How can you make sense of this historical data? I think the best way is that Jesus actually rose from the dead. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, again, like, uh, hopefully the, this information that we shared with you listeners out there uh, has been an encouragement to you uh, at the end of this Easter season and just thinking on the resurrection and the evidence that we have to support it because uh, our goal again at this podcast we think we say this every episode but we we want to equip Christians to be able to defend their faith and to be confident in their faith and th- this and the evidence of Paul's conversion is a crucial point in providing further verifiable evidence that's agreed upon by Christians and non-Christians alike that points to the resurrection actually happening. It is. It's a good piece of evidence and we, yeah, we hope it has helped develop your faith so that you're more sure that this is what actually occurred in history. Well, thanks so much for being with us today on Christ, Culture, and Coffee. We'll be back next week with more evidence for the resurrection. All right. See ya. You have been listening to Christ, Culture, and Coffee, a podcast ministry of Desert Springs Community Church in Goodyear, Arizona. For more information, visit our website at dscchurch.com.